0: Hi friends, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. It's great to be with you again this week. hope 2016 is continuing to go well for you as I sit here in chilly Chicago on this um, bright January morning. Looking forward to sharing with you this morning uh, for this podcast as we continue our sermon series here at our church called Flourish, as we talk about how we can find joy in our work and integrating our faith into our work, which is specifically what this podcast is about today. But before I go into that, let me read the text that we'll be reflecting on today. This comes from the book of Colossians in the New Testament. It'll be the third chapter, verses 12 through 17. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May God's blessing be on the reading and our living out of this word. So I'm going to tell a couple stories today from previous churches that I have served. And this first story comes from the church that I served before, uh, starting Urban Village. And I was, we were living in a suburb in Chicago called Highland Park, and this is back in the days when people would still go to the stores to rent videos and DVDs, and I was out one night renting a video for our family to watch a Saturday night, and as I was walking out of the video store, I ran into a family that attended our church. This family had two sons, and one of them, his name is Kyle, was probably about six or seven years old or so. And so as I was chatting with them, and uh, they asked what I rented, and I was grateful and thankful that I had not rented anything that might seem uh, unseemly. Uh, but that's beside the point. So Kyle looked at me with just these wide eyes and had an incredulous look on his face until finally he said to me, "What are you doing here?" And at first I wasn't sure quite what he meant. I said, "Well, I'm, I'm here writing uh, or renting a video," and he wasn't convinced. And he asked me again, well, but what are you doing here? And finally, it dawned on me that for him, it was probably so unbelievably unusual to see the pastor of the church in the real world. You may growing up have ever had something similar to that. Perhaps you saw a grade school teacher walking in the grocery store and your world was just totally turned upside down because teachers belong in schools, not out in the real world. And for Kyle, he probably had the same kind of experience. The pastor belongs in the church. He doesn't belong walking out of a video store. So we can maybe laugh or chuckle about that, that children think that we should only leave certain people in certain places. But I have to believe that sometimes perhaps we are more like Kyle Then we realize not just that we expect pastors to stay in churches, but perhaps that we expect our faith should stay in our churches as well or stay in one particular place. I will come to worship for an hour, hour and a half on Sundays, and then I leave my faith there. Or maybe you have a special place of prayer in your home, and I go there, and I pray, and that's my God space. And then I leave it there as I go out in the rest of the world. And perhaps if we ever think that that faith begins to come into other parts of our lives, we may be taken aback a bit. Like, what is my faith doing here? It doesn't belong here. And that includes our work lives as well. That's one of the things that we wanted to talk about with this sermon series Take a good, hard look at it because we spend so much of our days at work. And as I noted last week, when I talk about work here, I'm not just talking about people who have a 9-to-5 office job. I'm talking about if you raise children for most of your days or spend most of your days raising your children, or if you are looking for work, that is at work, or maybe you are a student. However, we spend our days in those kinds of activities, that is your work, and we wanted, because we spend so much time doing these things, we wanted to really pay attention to how does our faith impact what we do? And the church doesn't spend nearly enough time talking about that. so that's one of our hopes in in exploring this. And I think one thing that may help us, especially today as we talk about how do we how do we integrate our lives so that our faith has an impact on what we do for a living for all of our lives for that matter. I want to take a look at this passage from Colossians. So first, let me back up and say Colossians. Now, if you're not quite as familiar with the Bible, so whenever you look near the back of the Bible in what's called the New Testament, you may seem or may see some funny words like Philippians or Thessalonians or Galatians, and Colossians is one of those. These are all letters that are written, many of them by a man named Paul. Uh, Historically, the church and scholars have believed that Colossians was written by Paul, though in recent years some scholars wonder about that. But for our purposes today, I'm going to just use the name Paul for the author of this letter. So Paul wrote this letter to this church in a city called Colossae, Colise is in today it's in southwestern Turkey. At the time Colise had a um an important role uh, a few years before this letter was written, it was known as a city where there was a lot of manufacturing done around uh, wool and clothing, but by the time this letter was written, it started to go into decline a bit. As I was reading about Colosse this week, I was thinking about maybe this is similar to Detroit. At one time, it was this huge hub of manufacturing and production, and now it is beginning to decline a bit. No offense to people from Detroit who are listening to this. Any city that once knew its heyday and now is in decline colosse may be similar to that so here we have paul writing to this church in colosse and he is writing to them because they are going through this transformation some of you may still be thinking about resolutions that you are holding fast to and if so way to go So you're thinking to yourself, I used to do, or I had this habit in 2015, I'm now doing this new habit in 2016. Paul is talking about a really transformational thing that's happening to the people in this church in Colossae. And he reminds them, this is how you used to be, and now this is how you are today. So in this chapter today, chapter 3, chapter 3 starts off, we didn't read it here this morning, but... Paul starts off in chapter 3 reminding them that they have a new life in Christ, which means that their lives should be changed. And so he lists a bunch of things that they should not be doing anymore because of this new life. And we see this sometimes in in Paul's letters, kind of a, a list of things. So he rattles off fornication, evil desire, greed, wrath, slander, things that we should not be doing because we have this new life in Christ. And then, so verses 9 and 10, for example, right before what we read today, gives you an example of what he wants to, or the message he wants to get across. And verses 9 and 10 say, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices, and have clothed yourselves with a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. So again, Paul is telling them, this is how you used to be, Now you are this new person and he uses this metaphor of clothing, which maybe for some of the people in Colossae that may have made sense to them because they produced clothing in this part of the world. Some scholars also wonder if Paul was making this point because when people were baptized during this time, they would literally strip off their clothes, get into the water, and when they came out of the water, they would be given a new garment as a way to symbolize I have this new life. And Paul is trying to make the point that it's more than just wearing clothes. I don't know about any of you. I may be dating myself a little bit. Today, our uh, attire or our dress code at Urban Village is pretty casual. I don't wear a robe. I don't wear a stole or anything like that. But growing up, you had certain segments of clothes, you had your play clothes, you had your school clothes, and you had your church or Sunday school clothes and church and Sunday school clothes were the worst because they had uncomfortable shoes, uncomfortable pants, uncomfortable shirt so you, but you only had to wear it for about an hour hour and a half every Sunday, and then you could just get rid of those clothes altogether and Sometimes people may think about it as we see this this new kind of clothing as Paul is talking about when he is saying to clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility meekness patience we may think those are clothes, those are my church clothes right and i only have to wear those for a brief time but they're uncomfortable so i'm just going to ditch those clothes as much as we can paul is really trying hard later on in this passage that we read to, sit, to later to say it's not just a matter of taking off clothes and putting on new clothes. It is about a new life. Paul is saying, I want you to clothe your souls with new garments, not just your bodies. I want compassion, kindness, love to be something that's part of your whole life. And he ends it by saying in this, in this verse, in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. That covers a whole lot. And he tries to make his point clear by saying, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. I don't know if you're one for memorized Bible verses this week. Maybe those are the five words for you to remember this week. Whatever you do, do everything. Whatever you do, do everything. As a reminder to yourself, do everything in the name of the Lord. That my whole life, my whole life matters. That if I am... a chosen a new life in Christ. That means that all of my life is affected, and that includes what we do for a living. So we don't just have our clothes that we put on for work, and then we take them off saying, I am a new person now that I'm out of work. I don't have to act the way that I'm supposed to in this new life of Christ. Paul is saying, what you wear spiritually should go with you everywhere. In fact, a little bit later in Colossians 3.23, this point is made one more time. The author says, whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord. And then verse 23, whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord. And that can be really hard when we think about oh, how in the world does this matter with what I do uh, in front of an Excel document or whatever I do when I'm meeting with a client or when I teach children or what washing pots and pans, whatever, how can that be done for the Lord? Well, I think what matters is when we think about who are we doing these things for. When we go to work, are we trying to please somebody else or is our first audience God? And it makes sense when we think about at work, we think first and foremost, am I doing What I can to please my boss, my superior? Am I doing what I can to please my client? Am I doing what I can to please my teacher? When we think, whatever I do, they're the ones who has to be pleased. And we totally forget about what we do could be an offering to God. Is what we're doing pleasing to God? And once we get into that mindset, I think it changes. And it makes wearing that spiritual clothing into our work a little easier. It's a really classic book written many, many years ago, centuries ago, called The Practice of the Presence of God. And it wasn't really written as a book per se. So the author of this book is 17th century man named Brother Lawrence. So Brother Lawrence was born in France, early 17th century. He served in the French army and he fought what was called the Thirty Years' War. And his memories of the war haunted him so much that he wanted to get away from it so dramatically that he devoted his life to Christ and became a lay brother, a monk, at a Carmelite monastery in 1642. Now, when we think about monks, we think that these are guys who pray all day, right? But in order for a monastery to work, people have to do the dirty work. They have to do the jobs, perhaps, that no one else does. There may be some monks who all they do is pray, but there are others who have to actually help the monastery do its day-to-day tasks. And Brother Lawrence was one of those individuals. So he worked in the kitchen and he worked in a shoe repair shop. And apparently he wasn't necessarily always great at what he does. Uh, Scholars and readings that I did about Brother Lawrence said that he was sometimes called a clumsy lummox or that one individual saw Brother Lawrence and called him gross by nature. So not necessarily great things uh, to have labeled about yourself. But he did his tasks in such a way that his holiness and his humility shone through. And so after he died, people were so taken by who he was that they went through, after he had died, an individual went through his his journals and some letters that he wrote. And what he read was so astounded him that he had them published. And that book is with us centuries later, The Practice of the Presence of God. So what we know about Lawrence is this. So, for example, in one of these letters, he wrote this, and he would refer to himself in the third person. So he would say, in his business, and he's writing about himself here, in his business, in the kitchen, and I love this, to which he had naturally a great aversion. So normally, he's got to work in the kitchen, right? And he thinks to himself, I don't necessarily love this job. But then continue, uh, continuing, he says this, having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God, And with prayer, upon all occasions, for his grace to do his work well, he found everything easy during the 15 years that he had been employed there. So I think here he is saying something that I think we can all take something from. If he was thinking just about, I work in the kitchen, and I naturally have a great aversion to working in the kitchen, and I think what he's also saying is this, if I am doing this just to please the monks, the people I live with, This is not going to be a great time for me, but he accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God. His first audience was God and he found himself as he was peeling potatoes and all the things that one does in the kitchen, having conversations with God, thinking, offering these things to God and it totally transformed how he saw himself and how he saw his tasks. Who is your first audience? If it's customers, if it's superiors, if it's co-workers, that's going to make your job, I think, a lot harder than if we think about my first audience is God. And if my first audience is God, that means that the spiritual clothes I wear, that means that everything I do, it's easier for me to do in the name of the Lord. That whatever my task, I can put myself into it because it's done For God. Now I know that can be really difficult sometimes, especially when we work with challenging people or if we have tough clients or if we just do something that we simply do not like to do. But if we think somehow this is an offering to God, that my first audience, am I doing this well for God? As, As we noted last week, the first individual, the first man in creation, and was given the work to till the soil, to be a gardener and to name things. This is the first act of creation by man, and God hopes and desires that from us as well. So I mentioned earlier, I was going to tell two stories about former churches. The second story is from my first church that I served. This was uh, back in the um, late 90s, early 2000s, and this was in a suburb of Chicago called Riverside in the near western suburbs and one of the individuals there at that church was a man named Troy and I loved it, Troy was just great, he always had such a great attitude about life and I delved more into Troy's story, I got to know him more and he had what you would think is a really hard life he left home when he was about 15 years old or so and also he never learned how to read because his family moved around so much and I don't know if he suffered from dyslexia or, or, or something but He never learned how to read. So here he was, a teenager living out on his own, unable to read, and he made a life for himself because he was really good with his hands. And so he always had work as a handyman, carpenter, things like that. And so when he came to Riverside to the church, he was pretty much retired, but he would still do this kind of work around the church. Whenever something broke down, we were a small church, so we'd didn't always we had m- enough money for really a custodian to come in and just to clean things, and that was about it. We didn't have anyone else to fix things, so if we needed that done, I always called Troy, and he would always come over and get things done. And I always was so grateful to him. The church was a pretty large building, and it also flooded. The basement flooded quite a bit, and there was one particular uh, rainstorm that we had, and the one of the ba- it was just flooded. There were at least three inches of water on the floor. And this was my first church, and I was still pretty new at a seminary, and still had these feelings like I did not go to seminary to bail water out of a church basement. And so I was so discouraged and pretty mad that the morning I got there is like I got to do all this stuff for myself. And of course, Troy would came to mind. I thought I can't bother him with this, but it so happened that he came over that morning because he thought that something might have happened. With the flooding. And so Troy comes down, and I'm grateful for his help, but I'm still in my head thinking, This stinks. I can't handle this anymore. And so we're walk- slogging through the water, and Troy looks at me, and I look over at Troy, and Troy's got this humongous smile on his face. And I'm thinking, What is wrong with this guy? But he looks at me with this big smile on his face, and he said, This is great, isn't it? And he was serious. And I thought to myself, Here is somebody who gets what it means to have your first audience be God. Troy thought, I am doing something here that's going to help the church bail water out so that it is a place that people can come and get to know who God is. And he had so much a better attitude than I did because he knew who he was doing this for. He knew that whatever you do, do everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus. If I if everything I do is done in the name of the Lord Jesus, if my offering is to God first and foremost and not some other person, not that we ignore our supervisors, not that we ignore people that we work with, and I'm also not saying that if you are in a job where you are truly not being fed or if you feel like there's something more for me or I need to get out of it, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But what I am saying, what makes things a little bit easier no matter if we love our jobs or not, is if we go into our work thinking, Lord, today I am offering what I do to you. Whatever I do here today, I am doing everything in the name of the Lord. Whatever I am creating, the people that I'm working with, it is done for you. Once we have that, it makes integration so much easier. And it also means then we put on our spiritual clothes of compassion and kindness and love, and we don't take those clothes off once we enter through our working place doors. It means that we leave those things on, that God is our first audience, and that we can do everything in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus. I don't normally end with a quote, but here today I want to do just this because, again, it's from Brother Lawrence, and I think it encapsulates all of these things that I've been reflecting on. Brother Lawrence said this, We ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Let us not be weary of doing little things for God, but instead focus on the love which which these things are performed. Amen. Friends, thank you for listening today to this podcast. I'm hearing more and more from individuals who comment on how much they appreciate the podcast, not just from me, but from our other pastors at Urban Village. That really, really um, helps me to know and to keep doing these a podcast, knowing that at least one person is affected and helped by them. So, again, you can always reach out to me, email chris at urbanvillagechurch.org, Twitter, I'm at Christian Kuhn. Um, feel free to face uh, friend me on Facebook, and I'm happy to interact with you that way as well. So, friends, as we go into this new week, may the peace of Christ, which dwells in our hearts, impact all that we do, knowing that God delights in us every single day. Amen.